Shedding Shackles is sponsored by Roland Trujillo. Welcome to Shedding Shackles. Today's topic is response to seduction. And now, here's your Shedding Shackles host, Roland Trujillo. My name is Roland. The program is Shedding Shackles. Today, I want to do what I always do. I turn the microphone on, and something in me is reaching out to something in you. That's right. A part of me is reaching out to a part of you. Now, people, probably all people, have a latent good, a latent capacity to hear truth and to respond to the truth. They have that. But there's also something else in them that got in during their interactions with tease and temptation and taunts and challenges and cruelty on the outside and seductions on the outside. See, the whole purpose of tease and taunt and and seduction, the whole purpose is to get something in you. It wants to get something in you, and then that in you then responds to it and acknowledges it and is beholden to it and dependent on it and obedient to it. It's that simple. It wants to get something in you. Now, there are many levels to this. At the most basic level, it's it wants to get into you an image, a memory. And how does it do it? Well, it does it with shock, with cruelty, with meanness, with something something totally unfair that comes in from left field, for example. Or it does it with something seductive, something shockingly seductive. I remember there was a little boy one time who was walking and there was a bicycle that was parked and the little boy walked past the bicycle and the bicycle had one of these little knobs on it that you used to see on steering wheels, you know, where you could hold the knob and turn the wheel, but it had that on the bicycle and he looked at it and it had, it had a naughty picture, a naughty picture on it and uh, the little boy was shocked by that naughty picture but it stuck in his mind. And he kept uh, thinking about it. And I think he went back to see if the bicycle was still there so he could look at that naughty picture again. You understand how how shock can get something inside of you? Well, even in the animal kingdom, the animal, if the animal encounters some environmental stress, it forms some kind of an imprint on the animal, doesn't it? And then after that, a conditioning process is set up and then the animal reacts in some way to when it sees that that uh, same thing again. For example, we're all familiar with Pavlov's dogs, the famous Russian scientist Ivan Pavlov, who was commissioned by the Soviet Union to do these experiments on animals. He would present food to the animal And the animal would salivate when it saw the food coming. And then he would ring a bell and immediately present the food to the animal. 
And he would keep doing that. And then eventually, all he had to do was ring the bell, and the animal would start salivating. You all know that. If some of you have a pet, like if you have a dog, the dog recognizes the sound of your of your car as it's coming down the street, or the sound of your car door as you, when you open it and close it when you get out in your driveway, and the dog comes running because he knows that it's you. You, you understand? Well, so that's rather harmless in the case of a dog. But see, in the case of humans, we were not meant to be reacting and responding and obedient to the environment. We were meant for our Creator to be ever attentive and responsive to subtle intuitions from Him and to see Him in, in everything that we look at, everything gives glory to the Creator, and everything reminds us of Him, of His handiwork, of His genius. And so that's what we were meant to do and to be. But instead, we're, we go around reacting to everything. Now, it's a bit natural because we're born first of the earth and later of the Spirit, so you inherit a fallen nature. Adam had a nature very much as I had just mentioned. He was perfectly, well, maybe not absolutely perfectly, but almost totally perfectly adapted to the Creator. In other words, he was at, at every moment ready to, to, to know, to wait upon, to acknowledge, to listen to, and to heed and to obey his Creator. So the Creator was his environment. When you have a, a plant growing uh, out in the field, then the field and that climate and that latitude or longitude and that, that weather pattern, that locale, is its environment. And all the little bacteria and the, little, and the bugs and the other plants around it, those all form its environment. Well, Adam, originally his environment was God. And as he wandered through life, I'm going off on a little tangent here, but it's a very good tangent. Let's suppose that you are a child and you are with your parent. You go on a vacation somewhere. You go to a beautiful city. I don't know, I'll just pick something out. How about San Diego? That's a beautiful city. So you go to San Diego with your parents. And now you're in San Diego, and you're walking down the street, or you're at the park, or you're at the San Diego Zoo, or you're on a little sailboat, sailing around in the beautiful water with your parents. All the wonderful things to see, the animals, the ocean, the sky, the boats, the lights, the people. You see so many wonderful things. But your environment is really your parents. Your parents are your environment. And all these other things are, are nice, but they're not your parents. Do you understand? So Adam's environment was, uh, was God. And to a certain extent, I guess you could say that in the hierarchy of things at a lower level, the earth was also his environment because he had to breathe air and so on. But basically, God was his environment. Now, what happened 
when Adam ate of the forbidden food. Well, now he was shocked by something that was said to him. His wife said it, but she heard it from the serpent. And he was shocked by that. And it formed a memory. It formed an image. And then he kept going back to it. He kept going back to that and thinking about it. And the shocking thing was, hey, you can be, you can be like a god. You can be like a god. And do whatever you want. Just like a god. He kind of liked that idea. It was exciting. And then there was the food that he had been told not to eat. So he ate of that food. And then what happened? It was another shock. Now something else was in him. Do you understand? First it was the image. It was the words. And then it was the food. The food now was in him. And it formed an imprint and began to make changes. Do you understand? And so just like that little boy that went back to look at that picture, that naughty picture, Adam kept going back to that which had shocked him and left an imprint in him and began to change him. Now Adam's environment was no longer God. Now it was what? It was the devil. That's right, the serpent. And the serpent's clever rhetoric and words and... His environment was his imagination, where he imagined himself being great and glorious. And his environment was the woman who had handed him the food, and his environment was the food. Well, these various elements now began to change him. It was in him. The forbidden food was in him. It was a shocking experience eating forbidden food, just like it is for people who take a drug. Why do you suppose that drugs have such an effect upon people? How is it that a person can take some kind of an illegal drug and then after that it changes them? Now they become addicted to it, dependent on it. How is that? How does it make those changes? Well, now you understand that's the history of the human race. That's what happened to the very first human. The, the forbidden food was like a drug and it made changes. It changed Adam from within and also the shocking experience. So it all combined, the food, the forbidden food, the words, the imprint, the image. And I suppose it was all enhanced by the shock of then realizing that he had disobeyed God and was now separated from God. Something had changed. See, that's part of the shock also. See, when you have, when you have someone that takes a drug, maybe... Someone, all of a sudden, one day, their son or daughter comes home, comes home changed. They took a drug with some of their friends. They come home and they're changed. Well, it's not just a drug. It's not just the ingestion of that substance. And it's not just the shock of the drug, taking the drug, which is also a shock. And it's not... Also, only the seductive shock of their friends who suggested it to them. But it's the shock of seeing that you're different. See, a person who takes a drug the day after, 
They, there's a difference. They sense a difference in their being. They've changed somehow. And now the, the sweet, innocent things of childhood, the love of their par- from their parents and for their parents, and something is, of that has been lost. Maybe not totally, no. And the child will scramble, scramble back to those things for security. Yes, he will. He'll cling to his parents. He'll cling to, his, to he'll go back to his toys and his, and his comic books and his video games and whatever. And they will give him some security, but nevertheless, something has changed inside. There's an interesting passage in the Bible. Christ at one point said to his disciples, he said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. Now, do you understand? He said, the prince of this world is coming, but in other words, the devil is coming, but he has nothing in me. Well, so I began this discussion by saying that um, that in this program, I'm reaching out to the part of you that has not been lost. See, every time you sin, whatever sin is, you throw a little piece of what you had before away. A little piece is gone and is substituted for it is something else. But many of you, it's not all gone. There's still something in there. There's still a latent ability to hear truth and to respond to it. And that in me is reaching out to that in you. Now, if you could hear that, which awakens that something in you, it awakens it. See, God puts something of himself in you. There it is, and if it awakens, if it comes back to life, you know, like like Sleeping Beauty or Snow White, who was kissed by the Prince of Peace. Kissed, not by the Prince of Peace, but kissed by the Prince. Well, you need to be kissed by the Prince of Peace. But first, you awaken, it awakens, and then you yearn. Now you yearn. It's so beautiful to hear the, the things that you've always wanted to hear, and you always knew deep in your heart they were true, but somehow you had been diverted from them, and something got into you, and it began to lead you and boss you around. And now you hear, once again, you hear those things that beckon to you to come back to truth, to come back to your Creator, to come back to innocence, to come back to sweetness. Do you understand? And then it awakens and it yearns silently. The, the cry of the soul is silent and without complaint. Your soul silently cries out to your Creator, and He answers. He answers. Shedding Shackles provides answers for the issues that are closest to you. Do you have a comment or a question? If so, email Roland at roland at sheddingshackles.com. That's roland at sheddingshackles.com. Or call the listener call-in line at 510 455 
510-455-8851. That's 510-455-8851. This program is a labor of love. I buy the airtime to bring you this special message. Be sure to check out our many free resources at SheddingShackles.com. Now you understand Pavlov's dog got an image in the mind and then a conditioned response and like that. You understand that. It's very simple. And you understand how someone takes a drug and they're taking in a forbidden experience and it changes them. And then after that, they respond to the drug and need the drug and are dependent on the drug. You understand that. All right. And you understand how a creature is dependent on its environment. And if the environment becomes evil, if the environment becomes wrong, then that becomes the person's or the creature's environment. Well, in this case, the person's environment. You understand all of that. Now, if you can understand all of that, then you can also understand this. That when you are shocked, seduced, shockingly seduced, penetrated by evil, whatever evil is, you can't see it, taste it, or touch it, but it exists. When it penetrates, then it leaves something behind. Just the way when Pavlov's dog heard the bell ring, that bell sound left some kind of an imprint inside, didn't it? That's a good word, an imprint. And then when the bell on the outside rang again, the imprint within recognized that on the outside and the animal responded. So the devil, when you are shocked by evil, then it leaves an imprint within. And then that imprint within, see, then it cries out for its creator its recreator. It cries out for its environment. Do you understand? And then as you continue to go back to that, it has you going back to that environment because that environment is what it came from. You see, just as, as an animal is imprinted by things that happen on the outside, and just as we are imprinted by, by um, things that we got excited at when you went to the, I don't know, to a movie and it was exciting, then you remember the movie, you know, like that. Or just like when somebody says something mean to you and then you get angry and then you have an image of that, what they said in your mind, just like that. Well, in the same way, any commingling with evil, any being shocked by it, being penetrated by it, if it makes you doubt, if it makes you doubt what's true and what's right, if it makes you resentful and like that, then it leaves an imprint. And that imprint then is the seed, all right, the seed of a creature that will respond to to that imprint. Now, we're all born with a little bit of that. We, we all have a, a little bit of pride that we're born with. We kind of bristle when, when someone says we're wrong. We bristle at it. Well, we have that. But during our life, when we interact with fallen people and wrong people and misguided people and people who themselves have been penetrated, see, when we react to them, to their shocking, the shocking things that they do, the shockingly seductive things, the shockingly cruel things, the shocking lies, the shocking praise, the shocking condemnation, the shocking rejection, see, the shocking seduction. Then it gets inside. 
And then it inside then cries out for its environment to which it must adapt. See, the creature, an animal for example, it is ordained that that creature be dependent upon and uh, obedient to and needful of its environment. Well, if your environment becomes something on the outside that's not so good, then that will be your environment. And then you will adapt to it. You'll conform to it. See, and even if you rebel against it, even your rebellion, see, see, it got something in, in you. So whether you're conforming or, be- or rebelling, it, that thing is still in you. So now, getting back to what I was saying years later now, there's a lot of that in you. A lot of that in you. And it, now, how do you, so how do you know that it's in you? Well, first of all, pride. To the extent that you're resentful of other people, to the extent that you're selfish, to the extent that you hate other people, to the extent that you judge other people, including your own husband, your own kids, to the extent that you judge them, to the extent that you secretly have contempt for others or look down upon them, or to the extent that you you shake in your boots before worldly authorities, to the extent that you doubt what's right. See, to all of those extents, there's something in you. And to the extent, and then it, see, this pride that came from others, this nature that came from others, see, then the other way that you know that it's a prideful nature that you got, who did it come from? Probably it came from your mother, from other people that you interacted with. It came into you. But now you will also notice that it doesn't want you to be sorry. It doesn't want you to be sweet. It doesn't want you to, to, to admit you're wrong and be a bit embarrassed about some of the things, sneaky things that you've done. It doesn't want that. It doesn't want you to listen to, to simple, simple truths and just, just see that they're true and regret what you see about yourself and cry out to your Creator and let go of this hardness of heart. It doesn't want you to. And it will do all that it can to prevent it. It'll try to distract you. It'll cast doubt into your mind. It'll distract you with all kinds of thoughts. It'll tell you that you're, you're beyond hope, that you're not sincere, that it's all foolishness, that God doesn't care, that God is not fair that you're not ready yet. It'll try all of these things, see? It'll tell you that the... It'll tell you all kinds of stuff. And for most people, they're swept away by all of that negativity and all of those doubts. And then they just sink back into their old way, their old way of conforming and rebelling and of, of not living their own life and seeking comfort from other people who have also been penetrated and changed but some of us, some of us, when we hear the truth spoken clearly, we respond to it. And that part of us, that part of you, when it's ready to, to come back to the Creator, then it cries out to the Creator. And then He begins to help you to come back. 
And all of this stuff, all of the darkness, all of the confusion, all of the doubts, God begins to to hold them in abeyance. That's right. He holds them in abeyance. To the extent that you draw nearer to God. Remember that beautiful old song, Nearer, my God, to thee. Nearer to thee. To the extent that you draw nearer to him, you're farther away from the bedlam of confusion and negativity. You know, it's like if you're sitting in a room and there's a television set at the other side of the room and it's uh, blaring away, but you're really not paying attention to it. It's there, but you're not, you're not really watching it. It's just background. Very, very, very background. Well, that's the way all of this, these negative and dark things and confusing things and doubts, it will all become background, increasingly distant to you. And one day, if you begin on this path back to your Creator, then one day, the things that happened to you a long time ago, the things that you used to rage at and cry over, and the things that you used to have turmoil over, the cruel and mean things that people did to you and so on, it'll just become so distant it's almost as if it never even happened. You don't even hardly remember it anymore. That's the way it'll become. Not because I say so, but because that's the way it will be. Now, I just want to mention the meditation, which I've mentioned every radio program for the last 30 years. It's so simple. I have a very simple one. All it does is help you to get started. Help you to do something. Do you remember... In the Garden of Eden, well, Adam inclined toward the serpent-coached words of his wife. And then he thought about it. But then he did something, didn't he? He took the food, the forbidden food, and he ate it. That was the act, see, that sealed the deal. Well, would you like to do something simple? to get started in coming back to God again. And, you know, Madame Guillon is one of my favorite people. She was a, a mystic and a writer, and she lived around 1700. And she called it, she called it prayer, a prayer of silence, just becoming still. Would you like to do that and get a little closer to your Creator? Well, the meditation helps. It simply teaches you how to become still, to sit quietly, and to draw near to your Creator. Until next time, Lord willing, and the Greek don't rise. I'll see you then. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Shedding Shackles with your host, Roland Trujillo. Now you can listen to Roland anytime by logging on to www.sheddingshackles.com. You'll find lots of free, helpful information, and you can also order materials or make a donation by using your credit card. Once again, the web address is sheddingshackles.com. Please remember that Shedding Shackles is listener-supported. Thank you. Shedding Shackles.
is sponsored by Roland Trujillo.